Hello, I'm Hannah Jenna. And I'm Rachel Johnson, and welcome to Before and After, a body image podcast. We are here to discuss our ideas, perceptions, and beliefs about how we look and how we see others. We'll be looking at research and trends in the world of fitness and nutrition, as well as looking at our own biases related to body image and busting some persistent myths that abound in advertising and on social media. We hope to reach and captivate audiences of all ages and gender. So please help us out by subscribing and sharing. And if you like what you hear, we would very much appreciate you leaving us a review. Happy listening. We survived. We're back. We're here. Part two of our little, not little. little. Why would I even say little? I mean, it's a little a podcast. Word. I don't know. <laughs> our little podcast about our big adventure, climbing a mountain. Um... We, yeah, we have many, many stories to tell. Many. We're just about looking like regular humans, although my hands now look like an old lizard. Absolutely. My hands started peeling. It was the last part of my body to peel off. Like the lips were first and then the nose. I looked like a child with crusted snot on my nose for... For me, it was my earlobes. They peeled. My my earlobes did not peel. Um, I did delight in your story about going to a meeting wearing a black top and then realizing your neck was peeling onto it. I had like front dandruff, yes, from my neck uh, sunburn peeling off. It was lovely. Yeah, my (laughs) lips have just, I think the final scab has now healed and they are a regular size and we will talk all about that. Um, But uh, if you could describe your Mount Whitney climbing experience in one word, which word would you choose? Oh, man. This is Hannah surprising me again with a question. She's supposed to prep me for these things. Um, one word. Uh, In three, two, one, go. Unexpected? Unexpected. How so? I just feel like so many things that we're probably going to talk more in depth about, but just in general. Um all the expectations in my head going into the trip were either completely wrong or like just exceeded or not met at all. Like it, like I was just way off in my expectations of the trip. Ooh, expand on this. Well, um, so we talked about this, right, the last time that like this is the same route that I had done 10 years ago, almost exactly. Um 10 years ago, so I was uh, 10 years younger, obviously. Math works the same for age as it does for years. Does it? Um, it. (laughs) And it was the same Mountaineers route up the eastern side of uh, the Mount Whitney range there. Um, And so I had all these memories, right? Like I I had shown you and Jeff pictures of that trip, and I was like using those pictures to kind of fuel my own memories that were definitely pretty hazy after 10 years. Um, and so I think in my head, I had sort of built it up as like, this is going to like every step of this trip is going to feel somewhat familiar. Mm -hmm. Um, and it kind of played out that way in that, like, as we were going, I think I mentioned to y'all that like things from the trip 10 years ago started coming back to me, things that I hadn't remembered or didn't think. Oh, actually last time I got there in a helicopter. Yeah. Whoops. Well, (laughs) and it was, I mean, part of it was kind of that. Like I remembered when I was telling our guides this time about um, the the people I climbed with 10 years ago, because two of them were like professional rock climbers and he actually knew who they were when I said their names. And so he was like, oh yeah, so I'm, you know, these are like famous people, I guess. 
um, in that particular uh, sport. And as I was telling him that, I started getting these flashes of like, oh, yeah, like during that section that was really hard, I think those professional climbers ferried our backpacks for us, like carried them up this tricky part of the wall. And then we just followed them up without packs on. And like little memories like that, where I was like, oh, wow, this trip, I'm carrying my own damn 50 pound pack every step of the way. (laughs) Um, So it was kind of little things like that just kept happening along the way where I was like, I had, yeah, expectations that it would be very similar to 10 years ago. And nothing from from every step I took, the pack I was wearing, the weather, which I'm sure we'll talk about lots, um, you know, very, very little of it was like appropriate to my expectations and what I thought it was going to be like. Well, that's kind of good. You know, yeah. you don't want a repeat yeah. experience. For any of our listeners who are not uh, from California, California has had a record winter. Like the yeah. the main, like I think Mammoth Mountain, like the, one of the major ski resorts here just broke their all time record for snow depth. Um, you know, beating the average season by over 200 inches of snow. And one of our guides had That's been guiding crazy. up there um, in the Whitney area for over 20 years and had never seen the kind of conditions that we came across. And f- also for reference, typically you start at the Whitney portal area where you can drive to and park your car. Mm-hmm. And we had to trek two and a half plus Probably, miles yeah, or close to three, three miles, extra miles each way. up the windy road to the portal just to get started because that road was covered in snow and also covered in gigantic boulders and avalanches. That road is trashed. Yeah. Um, so it was it was a little bit extra. Yeah. So even that, right? Like the basic expectation of like driving to the trailhead. We did not do that. We parked on the side of the road, put on our snowshoes almost immediately and had to just trek up three miles of asphalt covered in a couple of feet of snow. Yeah. Yep. So when I thought about this, I had sort of a head start on you because I asked the question. I was going to say, what's your word? <laughs> I had a bunch of words that came up. and like, But I think the one that's probably most appropriate is intense. Ooh. Okay. Because like... I spent 15 years as a pro sailor, frequently out of my comfort zone, you know, in situations that you can't turn off. Yeah. But, you know, most of the time, of course, in sailing, there was times where I I didn't sleep for three days straight and like you're constantly under stress. But, you know, I could put the autopilot on and at least go and make a hot drink and like take five minutes of time out or whatever. Yeah. Um, Or hand the helm to another crew member or, you know, what taking little bits of rest here and there when you could. With this, which I had no concept of what kind of experience because I have never climbed a mountain before or been backpacking or anything like that. What struck me was just like the relentlessness of it all. Just constantly putting one foot in front of the other. It takes a really long time to go a really short distance because Mm -hmm. (laughs) the higher you get, the slower you get. I had no concept of how slowly you move. And that just gets even slower. I remember when we did that prep walk around the neighborhood and I was joking with you and Jeff, like, this is about how slow we'll walk. And I was like, jokingly putting one foot in front of the other and like pausing between. I was like, they might think I'm kidding, but... (laughs) And when you're doing that with 
big old snowshoes strapped to your mm-hmm. feet. And then occasionally you'll stand on your own snowshoes and just fall on your face. And then it's not just like getting back up because you got 50 pounds on your back to get up. And then you have to climb across a great big avalanche field from a gigantic avalanche. And then you, despite the fact that you follow the exact footsteps of the person in front of you, the snow gives way and you end up with your foot stuck in a tree because there's that much beneath you (laughs) and your head down the mountain being pinned to the ground with a 50 pound backpack. And somewhat Gosh, stuck. Which it almost was sounds like you're describing a real experience rather than a And I would like to one. add, in that experience, <laughs> Rachel did politely ask the question, do you want help or should I take a picture? Yes. I mean, that's, that's one of the key, uh, I think, things to talk about when you do adventure travel with, with friends is like, in a moment of potential crisis, uh, should we... Uh, memorialize it for posterity or (laughs) and I was laughing and I did I did say absolutely take the picture and when she took the picture you also see one of our guides just standing there looking down at me kind of laughing like grinning ear to ear idiot (laughs) it's true he was much closer to you so I knew he would be the one to help you I I probably couldn't have gotten to you very quickly anyway but it was a thought because like we did see a couple of people um just walking solo Mm-hmm. Why we were mm-hmm. up there. I yeah. mean, it's not it's not exactly busy because yeah. it is in intense conditions yeah. right now. I was surprised we saw as many people as we did. <laughs> but, you know, if and I'm sure they're all very experienced and not an idiot like me that finds the way to fall into a tree. <laughs> but, you know, that situation where like I'm decently fit. That was maybe three hours into our experience, four hours into walking, maybe yeah. at most. So yeah. it was still fairly early on the day. Energy levels were good. It was day one. I would have been able to get myself out of it. Mm-hmm. But immediately, as soon as I tried to sit up, I was like, wow, this is this is not going to be easy because it was steep enough that if I'd just taken off my backpack, right. I probably would have slid down the mountain. It might have done, yes. And my foot was fairly well jammed in the tree with my big old snowshoe. <laughs> so you kind of had to do this aggressive sit up. I feel like I feel like I want to clarify again for, for folks in case they think like, how did Hannah step into the top of a tree, right? Mind you, this is... We're probably in an area now that has 12 to 15 feet of snow and we above were in the, the normal ground. So. And we had just, yeah, there was an avalanche field. Um, there, so an avalanche that had come through and buried things also in like kind of pockets and more billowy snow, I guess. So that's also why uh, she was on top of a tree in the first place. <laughs> but <laughs> I can just imagine people going, wait, how did she get <clears throat> up there? It is actually weird when you think about like how many things we walked over without knowing what we were over, right? Oh, for sure. Because I mean, snow just piles up and then it feels like the ground, but it's not at all the ground. Because when we are, got up to... You're on top of trees and rocks. When we got up to our higher camp, yeah. the guides estimated we were probably camping on around 20 feet of snow. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, you know, usually there's like this gigantic Huge rock over there and boulders and, and yeah, it's all big, gone. Big slabs of rock that you walk over and like we didn't see any of that. And it, so, I mean, like the intensity just comes from the fact that, you know, it's... I, I absolutely have no problem being in situations where you have to keep going because there isn't like... I'm going to be a little bitch and just quit. Like, you cannot do that. Yeah. And that's always kind of on your mind that, like, you know, pushing hard, especially going to the unknown. Like, for me, altitude, unknown. Of course, it kicked my butt. And I had sickness, like, or nausea and headache constantly. And I felt pretty damn terrible after 12,000 feet. So I was constantly kind of thinking, you know, when is the point where I stop putting one foot in front of the other? Knowing that I've also got to get back down, which is no 
mean yeah. feet at all. Like back down, like going up is just brutal just because of the breathing and your climbing. Yeah. But going down is far more harsh on your body. Yeah. It just Absolutely. happens that you can breathe easier as you go. Like pretty much like the only part of me that got like quote unquote like hurt was my toes from coming down the mountain. And that's just amateur hour for having slightly too long toenails. <laughs> And then two days later, I was like draining my toes, which is a new experience. And we won't go too into that because it's kind of gross. But that was intensely painful. But like going up was just like that constant assessment, especially when I started to feel really bad. Like, where is the point where I have to stop? Like, and then and taking into consideration, A, I've got to get myself down. B, I don't want to become a burden to other people because we're already carrying 50 pounds if I can no longer carry that then other people then have to start taking up my slack if i go too far and something bad happens well now we've got a situation where other people might be having to help me too not just the stuff i'm carrying but me as well get down the mountain and these are hard enough conditions where just getting yourself up and down is is a lot i mean it's definitely it's it's a it's a cool word to choose because i feel like in um you know in the realm of crossfit where you and I operate most days and coach other people, we talk a lot about intensity, mm-hmm. right? What what levels of intensity do we want to hold in a particular workout or like how, right? Like how to talk to people about, you know, gauging their own intensity. And yet we never have to hold intensity for very long. You know? I mean, our first day was nine hours i think at least nine hours of moving under and we logged yeah. over twenty-eight thousand steps yeah and, and that was just getting up to ten thousand feet and our yeah. first campsite i think we only we did maybe maybe five to six miles tops mm-hmm. yeah probably between five and six that first day i mean right if you told someone it's going to take us nine hours to go five miles well i wouldn't have taken it seriously i would have yeah. been like heck no how, how do you do how, it how is that like, even possible you walking like, on your hands yeah exactly and the interesting thing about day one is like you know we work out frequently like when i work out most of the time let's say 80 percent of the time i'm pushing decently hard not mm-hmm. redlining but decently hard yeah but it's for it's usually done and dusted in an hour yeah what i found really fascinating is that day one there was some kind of really challenging parts and in the last hour i'd say before getting to that camp i felt myself like on the verge of crying yeah and not because i was being a little bitch i mean i want to go this is not fun anymore (laughs) because my body had reached this kind of point of exhaustion which i've not hit since some of my most intense sailing experiences and i was like i was kind of sort of looking down on myself with a camera view because I was aware of this like emotion Mm -hmm. I was like this is I know this is not me wanting to quit this is something that is just happening because my body just literally is going what the shit are you doing to me right now and because I don't know the mountain at all I had no notion of like how far this camp was I don't think any of us knew (laughs) like it was like how long do we have to keep doing this nobody knew and there was some like pretty steep brutal sections like I think that you know we were all just like 
you gotta slow down. The guides are just oh, like, know. let's hi ho, hi yeah. ho. It's up to where we go. And we're <laughs> the like, guides do this a lot, and they stop. do it professionally, and they're acclimated to much higher elevations. So it's like, yeah, I mean, it's true. I think we all learned to find our voices a little bit on this trip because we really did have to tell the guides like. Hey, this is like, uh, <laughs> we I were at break. sea level. I'm just definitely going to stop and adjust my boots. Really, I'm going to cry. But And I um, know that obviously they have, you yeah. know, they want to get to camp with plenty yeah. of time to like set up before yeah. the night time. They have different things in mind probably than we do, which is good because they're, and we they're got, all for I our just, benefit. Like, we got there and obviously you have to stamp <laughs> down the snow to like create a oh. pad for your tents and stuff. But when we got to that first camp, like we ditched, put the backpacks down and people started stomping and I was literally just stood there like spacing out like I want to help but I got nothing yeah like I have got nothing and at that point I was like oh crap now I've got to sleep all night in like freezing conditions and wake up and do this again but go higher and usually like in CrossFit if I go back and do an intense workout it's very frequent that you'll feel like you got hit by an 18-wheeler, and then reversed back over again. Yeah. Like that kind of soreness yeah. where you're like, wow, I can barely move. So I was like, I have no clue how I'm going to feel. Yeah. You know, we've all heard me talk about my chicken legs. I was like, this is a very <laughs> leg-intense workout. I'm not really sure. And like my trap had been getting really aggravated on one side and like kind of tightening up. And I, I'd gotten a headache by the time we got to the 10,000 foot camp. But I think that was more just like dehydration than altitude yet. Because I did take um, Advil and it did help. And woke up the next morning and felt great. Not sore, nothing, nothing like a CrossFit workout, nothing like I'm used to. And I was like, huh. And then the next day we did far fewer miles intense in terms of steepness. And of course we're still wearing snowshoes and the snow's deep. But it was much more enjoyable day. But once we got up to that 12,000 feet, that's when I was really like, oh, God, I yeah. do not feel good right now. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is amazing that I, I've experienced that on every almost every single backpacking trip I've ever done. The first day, all kinds of parts of your body freak out, right? We definitely don't throw on heavy backpacks and just walk around a lot. So like your upper back, your traps, like everything is kind of adjusting. And I think all three of us that first night were like really worried about how we'd feel, right? Because like my trap was like spasming yeah. and like my upper back was like, oh my goodness. And you you don't get to sleep on your nice memory foam mattress. <laughs> You're sleeping on the ground. It's actually pretty comfy. It, it, it's one of the comfiest things to sleep on other than like pine needles in the fall those are excellent but and i was perfectly cozy i was not at all cold when we slept i mean granted i was wearing my big puffy jacket big puffy sleeping yeah, bag we all had good but gear i think i didn't really sleep warmer. much but i was not cold at all yeah. overnight um but yeah i was really impressed with the body's ability to recover yeah but then like once i started to get that altitude sickness i was just like oh my god yeah I've now got to try and consider whether putting one foot in front of the other and going higher while feeling this crap is a good idea. And like we all had a big discussion in the tent like the night before we were going to try and get to the summit. don't think anybody had summited yet this season. According to our guides, no one had. Um, Although when we finally got to that last section, there were footprints up the, the last bit, but we actually... Don't, don't know technically know if it. that person summited so so like we all had a conversation and i was like i don't know man i feel terrible 
I don't know if it's a good idea. I'm super proud of myself for coming this far. And like Rachel and Jeff are like, okay, cool. Well, if you're not going, we're not going. And we'd kind of almost been like, yeah, we're probably not going to go. But let's sleep on it and just see. And then we had to wake up earlier the next morning and it was freezing. That was the coldest night. It was it was around zero. It might have been like less than zero. So minus 18 Celsius. Yeah, negative 18 those Celsius. those who don't speak Fahrenheit. Yeah. Um, so that was really cold. And I woke up and I was like, well, and FYI, Advil does not work at 12,000 feet. <laughs> Nor did migraine drugs. Yeah. So I still felt terrible, but I didn't feel worse. And I just looked around and I was like, okay, well, I have no clue how this is going to go, but... The guys had talked about, you know, we'll go and sort of get to the close to the bottom yeah. of the couloir that you climb up to get to um, the top and then we'll assess it and we'll see. Because at that point, we yeah. weren't even aware, weren't even sure if we'd be able to get any higher. Yeah. And I was like, OK, well, I'm just going to keep putting one foot in the front, front of the other. But if I start to feel any worse or there's any weird symptoms, then then we'll we'll call it because I don't want to mess around and, you know cause a problem and i kind of really wanted to get to the point where i had to put crampons on and it's true up until that point we hadn't actually done the mountaineering we were snowshoeing really it was a snowshoeing trip for the first two and And i was really (laughs) sick of standing on my own snowshoes so i was like i want to put on the crampons and i feel like that's going to be better and so off we went and we went we set off in the biggest puffiest jackets in the super freezing cold none of us could feel our feet at all we were just <laughs> praying that at some point they would come back to life and i feel like that was yeah probably one of the biggest topics of conversation throughout most of the days was who can feel their toes can anyone feel their toes yet how are we doing on our toes <laughs> oh that one woke up like <laughs> And we got up to like just over 13,000 feet and it was incredible. By that stage, we were stripped off many layers. Oh my gosh, we were practically in like burning up. Them. The sun was insanely intense. We were on our third day of sunshine in a row, which mm-hmm. was also miraculous. The unexpected part, the miraculous part, yeah, that we had probably the only 72 hour clear window in this California this winter. Yeah, yeah. And we got up there. And as you looked around, pretty much every slope around us had avalanche, except for the one that we would have to climb to make it to the summit. And so our guides went and dug a pit and were checking on snow. And I think all of us, too, apart from the one 19-year-old kid that was with us, but whatever, (laughs) um, all of us were kind of like, this has been one hell of a ride, just Mm. getting to here. And the guides kind of were like, well... It's not without risk. Yeah. There's not a... The snow looks better than we thought, but we definitely can't say that it's safe. Yeah. Well, and I mean, they made it pretty clear, right? Like, avalanches were happening all over that area for the week before we got there, and they were... We could see evidence of them all over the place, and so it was really fascinating. I've never been in that situation when I've been in like snowy alpine conditions where you can actually look around and see oh yeah that one slid that one slid you kind of see these overhanging snow ledges um, that show you that like that piece clearly broke off and slid down and then you look at the couloir that we were supposed to go up and it was like untouched pristine no not even like you know a little one rolling pebble had like touched it and then you saw these other snow fields kind of on either side that if they fell they'd fell right on top and um yeah i mean the guides were wonderful they made it 
very clear that... Well, they said two things that really stood out to me. One was that if we collectively decide that we want to try, we're going to have to pick up the pace. And I was like, oh, dear Lord, I don't have any pace to pick up. Because Even if there were no avalanche danger, I don't think any of us Because it's like, not just like could getting go faster. Up, you have to get back down again. And the, the concern was is that, you know, the longer it takes us to get up, then the more you know likely it is that it gets later in the day as we come down and the temperature was dropping. And by that stage, none of us had had any toes yet. We were still... No, our toes were still pretty much numb. And yeah. that like that was something that I, I saw concern from the guys. It was like, really? No one's, no one can feel their feet? We're like, not yet. Well, he'd also told us that like the trip before ours, he turned someone back because they actually, their toes were getting so bad. He was like, we're not going on any further. If you literally can't feel them, like... We got to take care of that. And then the other thing he said was like, you know, if you guys will insist we have to try, then we can try. But there is the risk. And if this thing slides, none of us will survive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, avalanche risk, like two to five percent might as well be like a hundred percent. Right. In the mind of people with a reasonable risk tolerance. <laughs> and, you know, some people would absolutely say like two to 5%, like, oh, the snow looks pretty good. It's cold enough. It's this enough or that enough. Um, and would go up that slope. Like we saw steps. Someone else had actually gone up that couloir. Um, but I do not have that kind of risk tolerance. Like I, I did not want to go anywhere where there was a danger of that. <laughs> so we hung out up there for a little bit. I did one burpee. Yes, and was Hannah did her massively guess. It wasn't at fourteen all. four, but it was like at thirteen one probably. On a, it was like a a, a scaled burpee because the, the, the hill the hill gave you a you did it onto your backpack. I think I had my backpack on my back, so that I just did it onto the slope a little bit, and then did a pathetic jump, and then was like, <gasps> but it was actually kind of a, a the universe gave us a sign because it enabled mm-hmm. us to get back down. Yep. On the way back down to our camp, we found our toes. We did. They came back. And the then descent. we decided to yep. pack up and move back down to 10,000 feet, which right. was actually amazing because when we woke up the next day, it was pouring snow. Yeah, uh, like started snowing had, that night. We're covered in snow. And had we been higher, the trek down would have just been brutal. Extra yeah. It brutal. would have been an extra two to three. Two, two to three miles. I mean, it would downhill. have been completely whiteout conditions. Whiteout conditions, probably. And it, yeah, it might have been, it would have been much windier up there. Like the conditions would have been really much more blizzardy at the high camp. So, yeah, I mean, it was all very fortuitous that we got down to that lower camp, which allowed us to get out on Sunday in time to like enjoy a lunch <laughs> before hitting the road. But I mean, all in all, apart from a few things that we're going to mention, because we're going to do a sort of top yeah, 10 we've got things. some lessons learned um, and top 10 things all in all i was very impressed with how my body held up i mean mm-hmm. obviously the altitude like there's nothing i can do for that i can't train to adapt to altitude unless yeah. i go and sit at altitude um and at sea level yeah. i don't really have an option yeah. for that and our mountains just are not high enough to yeah. produce that effect but in terms of like fitness and like the physical ability to keep putting one foot in front of the other and recover yeah, with, like I basically did not sleep the For first not night. Sleeping, I didn't really sleep the second amazing. night, and the third night I slept in like very short, very intense bursts for yeah. probably maybe three hours total. But the fact that I woke up the next day and I my body was like cool, yeah, okay. 
And yeah. mentally, being able to be in that place where even though, even when you feel like you're almost starting to break down, you're still able to just be calm and be like, okay, mm-hmm. put one foot in front of the other. What can I, what am I able to do right now to make this better? Do I need to drink some water? Do I need to try and eat some food? Like, what yeah. can I do to just keep moving? Um, and I feel like there was a lot of learning on the way. Like when I ran peer to peak, I figured out how to run <laughs> uphill the day of the race. Yeah, and when I started shuffle. the track, like when we were walking up the road before I even got to the portal, I was just trying to like walk like a regular person on flat ground. Right. And when we first started to go up the mountain, I was still trying to go at that kind of regular pace. And, you know, finally it was like, oh, wait, no, this has got to be really slow. And that's okay. Yep. It's a total, I mean, it's, it's, it's a complete reframe of what intensity means, right? Cause it's like super hard, but it's not any kind of hard that we're used to experiencing. So with all that being said, we've made a list. All right. And I wouldn't say that mine are in any particular order. Um, but these are kind of like 10 things that we observed, felt, experienced, learned, um, yeah. failed at or whatever, whatever we wanted. <laughs> Um, so before we started, um, Rachel told me that I should really buy some underwear <laughs> and wear underwear. I did. Cause I really don't like wearing underwear you under and my Jeff leggings. You both are, are not underwear wearers. So I, I followed the advice and I bought some underwear and, uh, my number 10 that I'm going to start with on my list, cause I'm going to count down to one is mm. the underwear is annoying. Yeah. <laughs> Underwear is annoying. After okay. day one, I ditched the underwear and went back to my usual just leggings with no underwear and it was much more comfortable. All right. That's that's fair. I mean, just felt no one can understand weird. and determine that experience and what you need other than you. So if you are a no underwear wearer and you're going to take on a mountain, you, do, you, you just do you. Yeah. Or practice first and see. Yeah. Well, but it's like anything, you know, you need, like practicing with the gear is important. And like yeah. that whole first day, I was like, oh, God, this is really annoying. And when you have to like pop a squat and pee in a bush, it's just one more layer that you have to try and get up before you stand up and give people a show. Yeah. Okay. That That is true. I mean, I feel like also if you have, you have nice soft leggings. I do. Um, and that's probably where the like underwear recommendation came from was like, if you're wearing like kind of pants that are not nice and soft yeah or something. i could then see that there there are chafing issues there's there's things but but that's good now you've learned right I've learned. that's one of my favorite things about trips you learn what kind of gear you need what kind of gear does or does not work for you so and how much more money you're gonna have to spend if oh you yeah have to do oh, for sure that's like all i do on trips is learn what's my next piece of gear what and you pretty much like all i could hear rachel say so i was like so I think I know what's next on my list. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, Every boy. day I change, like, what my next new thing is going to be. New snowshoes, new yeah. backpack. All right. Um, go for it. Okay. Well, my first thing, and and uh, apologies if this also is stealing one of yours, but, like, we, we shared, we experienced this together, but, like, oh, my goodness, blocks of cheese for the win. Oh, that yeah, was one that of my, on my best new discoveries was, like, our guides literally just had blocks of cheese like a huge block of cheese and they would just pull it out of their bag peel down some of the wrapper and just like bite off huge chunks of cheese and i was like wow i guess that's really good fueling and conveniently they one of their previous um people that they had guided 
was lactose intolerant and had purchased a lot of lactose free cheese, which I've never had before. And he gave me a block of cheese. I was like, I don't know about this. Because, you know, I'm a carb queen. We've talked about that before. For the kind of workouts that I usually do, carbs are fuel of choice. But this is very much aerobic exercise because you're moving so slow that actually fat is a great way, especially with altitude when it kind of crushes your appetite and you're just so exhausted, you don't really want to eat a lot. And like most of the snacks that I packed were kind of more carb based because I typically don't like higher fat foods. But when he gave me that block of cheese, I took to that like a woman possessed. It was crazy. And then like we were sat down, I think after we came down from our summit attempt, it was. We I took had a some break left. before we were going and down Rachel to the was first eating camp. some crackers and yeah. I was like, do you want some cheese? And she was like, oh, okay, took one bite. And then that became two bites. And then I just split it with her and it was like, this is actually, it was like, you know, when you put the perfect fuel in your yeah. body and you're just like. Oh, and your body responds like, I need give me more of that. Mm-hmm. Like, that is what I, it's so true. Like, right. And I mean, from a nutritional perspective, like you hear that a lot from like endurance athletes, like a lot of them like a higher fat diet, right? I mean, that's the kind of fuel that burns it's a slow slowly burn. like that. And man, like if, yes, if just my natural instincts, when I like put that block of cheese to my lips, like I was like, Clearly, my body knows what it needs. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, this is, so if this I was, is it. So if I was to do that again. It was also salty. It was like. Yeah. I would ugh. pack like meats, like salamis that are mm-hmm. higher fat. I would pack blocks of that cheese. And I remember a friend of mine who's done a lot of solo, um, she was like solo records to Antarctica and stuff. She would eat, like take blocks of butter. I mean, that's gross. I'm not That's a bit that. much. I don't want to like suck on butter. The cheese like, thing, because like you're not, the the energy demand is slow burn. So the fact that it takes longer for your body to turn fat into available yep. fuel doesn't really matter. Nope. But that's exactly what I needed and a lot more savory stuff too. Yes. I brought way too many sweet snacks and I just didn't want them. Yep. Like I just, my body wasn't craving it. When I'm summer backpacking, gummy, I could live on gummy bears, but that... That wasn't feeling great with this okay. trip. Okay, so there we go. Underwear is annoying and cheese is important. Uh, <laughs> so my next one. Uh, obviously, if you're being good, you're slathering on lots of sunscreen every time. So I I had packed some wipes to try and clean it off my face each night and like put on some moisturizer to try and save my face because the sun is so intense. So but intense. as it turns out, face wipes freeze. And so what I gradually learned throughout the course of like the three, four days is that pretty much anything you might want to use in the morning has to be in your sleeping bag with you. Yeah. And things like face wipes, I probably should have just tucked it inside my jacket while we were eating dinner and tried to warm it up so that I could actually pull one out and wipe the crap off of my face rather than just have like a brick. Yeah, I was going to say that doesn't wipes. sound pleasant, like a it scraping really of work. your face. <laughs> So, yeah, there we go. Things you learn. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, I have a similar one, so I'll just expand on that because sun protection um, and kind of related to that, like, clothing layers to, like, better layers. um, And the takeaway for me was really about how, like, sometimes it's, like, the little things that matter the most. Uh um, And they're often the things you don't think about. Like, I knew... I've been up there before in alpine environments. Like I know you're closer to the sun by thousands of feet. You, you know, the sun reflects off the snow. Um, So it's literally coming at you from so many different angles. 
Um, and yet, like, I forgot basic things. I covered the tops of my ears, but I got sunburned on my earlobes because the sun bounced off the snow, came up and hit me underneath. So I had this like stripe down the bottom of my chin and my neck and my earlobes um, because I just, right, I didn't think through those little details. Um, I have sun gloves, really nice lightweight gloves that literally are just meant to cover your hands when you're holding trekking poles or a paddle. And um, it kind of blew my mind that like, even though I was aware of all these things, I still, I missed those details. So, you know, some of us fared better than others, but like there were very much parts of me sunburned. Um, I also just clothing layers wise, like needed lighter lighter colored clothing. Like I had way too much black. And I also forgot that when the sun is bouncing around everywhere, like I was cooking. I know you don't sweat, but um, I sweat a ton. <laughs> I dropped one bead of sweat hard. when we were getting up to the top. <laughs> yeah. So I felt like I was just cooking in the sun, whether it was my skin or just like the heat that my body was producing. So I learned a lot about sun and, and layers as well. Well, I have to say at this point that I spent a whole $16 on Amazon to purchase a fluffy leopard print balaclava <laughs> that's over helmet. And when I purchased it, Rachel was like, are you, are you wearing that? that? I like, could not believe heck, she was taking it. Yes, I'm taking that. And that thing was an absolute Yeah, your wonder. neck did my not My neck sunburn. was not burned. My earlobes are not burned. I know. Um, but Weirdly, yeah, I'm going to like right. skip ahead a few of mine to okay. get to the point that's relevant to that. Is that it's not just face and neck and earlobes and nose. Hands, I've totally forgot to put yeah. any sunscreen on my hands. Lucky they're kind of hardy, but they're now peeling and they look disgusting and lizardy. But lip balm. Oh, the lip balm. For somebody who carries lip balm around with them everywhere they go, I went with like four lip balms to make sure that at no point I would run out of lip balm. But at no point did I think about the fact that none of the lip balms that I packed had any kind of sunscreen in. Yeah. So I was basically every application just frying my lips. It's like when people go to the beach and they put on tanning oil yeah. instead of sunscreen. It's like so you're just like inviting the sun in. I mean, it, it, you could probably have heard them like sizzling at yeah. one point. Yeah. And uh, on top of that, um, another I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for a twofer here. Okay. But um, also on the lip front is that typically, you know, like when I ran peer to peak, um, heat and like climbing an altitude my fingers swelled up so they were like oh yeah fat little sausages Mm -hmm. to the point where i couldn't bend them and was like oh gosh that's weird and of course going up the mountain you experience similar kind of like fluid retentions and swellings oh yes what i had never heard about and certainly never experienced before was swelling of lips Mm -hmm. so like first day nothing really much like maybe the second morning when i woke up I could feel my lips doing something, but I, you know, I probably was like, oh, sun, you know, whatever, cool. Still hadn't registered that I yeah. hadn't put sunscreen I mean, on my sun lips. Sun exposure, wind exposure, cold exposure. There's lots of reasons why After our lips would feel weird. the second night, I woke up and was like, oh, gosh, my lips feel <laughs> kind of fat and puffy. And I, like, looked at my phone and I was like, oh, yeah, look at that. You know, but they were, like, plump, but not outrageous. Yeah. After the third night on the mountain, I woke up in the morning 
and I was trying to move my face and I was like, oh shit. (laughs) (laughs) And I wasn't sure which part of my face was swollen until I looked like in my, in my camera on my phone, but I couldn't smile at all. My lips were probably four times their size. (laughs) And by this stage, the sunburn had become blistered and like crispy and I looked like I had some kind of venereal disease. And when like I looked at Rachel, it was just like I mean, you got it a, a yeah to, so that, to an extent. I mean, the night before like you were experiencing it that day and night before, and I remember when you told us and we were like, Oh yeah, look at that weird. We should look that up. Like I, I don't I maybe that's like an actual symptom and um and I thought I was like not a part of that conversation and then I woke up that last morning as well and was like wait a minute my face feels weird and yeah i it was not they weren't as big as yours but um yes i'm trying to drink i was trying to drink like my warm drink in the morning it was just like like falling out of my mouth it's like when you go to the dentist or something and it's uh, because like oh i really and i was trying to put lip balm on again and like kind of smush your lips together and i couldn't you couldn't move my lips like purse your lips and smush them together and and uh, we, you know, we've obviously talked about like plastic surgery and stuff on this oh, podcast yeah. before. And it, I was like, wow, it felt so weird. And I can only imagine that's what it feels like if you go to town on the lip, lip filler. Yeah. Like if you just get like overinflated lips. Um... And I was just like, I couldn't even imagine this feeling like it being so awkward to eat and drink and not have food just like spill out of your mouth. <laughs> And to pay thousands of dollars to achieve that. I mean, I guess you could say I paid thousands I mean, of dollars we, we to achieve that. I mean, we paid some money to go do this trip. But I trip, got a hell but... of an experience aside yeah. from just like having yeah. my lips go crazy. And I was just like, oh, wow. I really yeah. <laughs> hope this I mean, it down. was, uh, yeah. And what I was surprised at, I mean, is is also that it continued, right? Like, because I, with most altitude symptoms, um, they pretty much diminish as you go down. That's like one of the great things about them is if you're having altitude symptoms, you literally can descend a few hundred feet and sometimes they clear up. Um, so it's easy to cure most of these things. But I mean, I, my lips continued to, uh, go down over the course of the day, but then re-swell overnight, even when we were back at sea level for at least two or three more days. Like, so yeah, like on the, and my whole uh, face was kind of puffy. Yeah, on the car ride home, I could feel them, deflate to probably day two levels so yeah. they were still big yeah but they weren't outrageous yeah. and i was like oh hopefully you know i'll sleep but tonight yeah. and everything will be fine i got up at 5 a.m monday morning to go coach crossfit and they were swollen back up again mm-hmm. like not quite to the extent but they were they were stupid looking and so i arrived to coach crossfit and obviously like my lips were swollen my nose was peeling my face was all red my hands are ridiculous colored and i couldn't wear shoes because the downhill section had trashed my toenails <laughs> so i was like hi everyone and everyone's like did you, you have okay? a good time <laughs> is everything okay and i was like it will be fine just give me like a week yeah hopefully i'm not, I'm not walking great um i can't talk i great, might be but... a human again i'm not sure but and then like the next day i started to pee a lot and like got rid of a lot oh, of fluid yeah. and i dropped like a couple of pounds in weight and then finally things started to feel like they were going back to normal. Yeah. But I don't advise gigantic lips. Um, yeah. I mean, if it happens because you're having an amazing experience in the mountains, so be it. But, um, you know, ultimately we also learned uh, it's called angioedema. It's not 
super dangerous. Like it's it's but but I am it is interesting. If we'd stayed up there another day or yeah. two, or kept going higher, would like, they what, get what, bigger? I, you know, because I mean, it's basically edema is it's a function of your body like holding onto fluids, which it's doing when it's kind of in survival mode, and that's why some of the medications people take to um, be okay at altitude are basically diuretics, right? They help you flush water out. So, I mean, I think if we had kept going, I just would have suggested we drink more whiskey, right? Alcohol, dehydrate a little. Uh, have a diuretic. More coffee. Coffee's a diuretic. And that's the you problem probably with coffee. Because we also <laughs> discovered that I, I figured this out at night too when I was feeling terrible and getting waves of nausea and had a headache that whenever I start to feel crappy, like if I have a migraine at sea level, if, I, if I'm hungover, then even though I am an absolute coffee freak, it's something that I really cannot stand even the smell of. Mm. And so as we climbed up the mountain, they had coffee. I mean, obviously instant coffee. Yeah. Coffee snob, not a fan. But I tried <laughs> to have a coffee on day one or day two, mm. and it just was not what I, I wanted. So I didn't have any coffee. So I basically went from, you know, multiple espresso shots in a day to cold turkey. Yeah. And added altitude. So yeah. as you can imagine, yeah, I felt you, you were dealing stellar. with a lot. Your body was dealing with a lot. And um, yeah, I mean, I just, to that point, one of my other ones, and it's true, now we're going all out of order, which is totally fine. That's the way this should go. Um, but you were talking about how your body, like, right, like the, how much we, we peed when we got home. And like, I noticed that too. Like we weren't like peeing that much on the mountain, which no. was surprising. And then once we got home, it was just like... Clearly, this was a lot of water weight. And so I actually, because I was also tracking my macros and weight and working with my nutrition coach, when I got home between uh, between the night of our return, so the Sunday night that we got back, and the third morning after that, so like basically three to four days, I dropped eight pounds. Wow. Yeah. So like normally, right, as a nutrition coach, this is why we get people to do like averages and stuff Mm -hmm. like that because like this trip like going to altitude definitely is like the scale on any given day is never the whole story right like so just in a few days my body had that much like water weight it needed to get rid of um well we i mean we we weren't drinking enough but we were probably only peeing three times a day maybe and we were drinking mint i mean i was drinking four to five liters a day so normally that's plenty for your body for what it needs and also plenty to have you pee at least a handful of times a day um so yeah i mean i don't right like we were doing what we were supposed to be doing in terms of the amount of liquid we were consuming um and your body just wants to hold on to it i just came up with one to take over from the cheese oh the good one that okay that uh never take your toilet for granted that wasn't already on your list? No. I oh, mean, like, that's definitely on my list. So yeah, I have no problem popping one. a squat or all the rest <laughs> of it. Like, I've spent enough time on boats. I, I really don't care about any of that. But when, like, peeing means you've got to, like, ditch the backpack or you've, you're exhausted because you've got to camp and you've set everything up and now you've got to, like, charge somewhere to find, like, a little bit of privacy. It's not like guys who can just turn around and unzip and off they Uh, go i know so it kind of makes you think really hard like okay when am i gonna pee and like every night we'd have the conversation about how late we could possibly leave it to go pee and make it through the night without having to get up in the middle of the night when it's super freezing (laughs) 
Yeah, like rustle around in the, the tent. last thing you find your boots, get out of your tent in the middle of the Try and get night. your cold boots on your feet and then go and pee. So we'd made, we'd made a plan like 7:30 p.m. was our pee time. That was our cutoff time. Yeah. And then we'd make it like I mean close to 12 hours. Oh yeah. Before we'd we go again. we were in those tents and yeah, for a long time. Um yeah, so um I definitely had one on my list about the bathroom um because I mean just in general uh, your bodies do weird things at altitude, right? Like, and and I'm always uh, fascinated. Um, this was actually though one of the few parts of this trip that wasn't unexpected for me because I I I had some I had some you know learnings from the trip ten years ago about my my regularity of my digestion <laughs> at altitude, and so I was kind of prepared for the fact that like. I was probably going to need more than one wag bag. And for those of you who don't know what that is, uh, Mount Whitney is in the Inyo National Forest, and it is a um, pack out your poop area, meaning it's not just like leave no trace where you can practice best practices for like not leaving garbage and things like that in the backcountry. This is like literally everything that goes in with you comes out. So you don't get to dig a hole and bury your waste you have to put it in a bag called a wag bag that has like the equivalent of like kitty litter in it, <laughs> which, uh, yeah. And then you have to carry that all out with you. Um, so we were joking. We were all given one of these and I was like, one of these for four days, probably not enough for me. <laughs> Luckily we were all got second ones at the trailhead, but, um, yeah, I mean, it was fascinating to learn again, to confirm actually, I guess that my body is ultra regular at altitude. And so you're never taking the toilet for granted. Like, I mean, I, I had some new experiences. I went to the bathroom with cramp, not with crampons on, with snowshoes on. Mm-hmm. I It's difficult. Like, oh, I mean, yeah. Like having a good squat depth and mobility oh, yeah. is so critical in the backcountry. The snowshoes um, make it kind of interesting to get set up. Super and... interesting. You're trying not to like poke a hole through the snow, fall into a tree like Hannah did, right? You don't want to do that when you're going to the <laughs> no, bathroom. Your pencil down. <laughs> um, so the snowshoes can help because they help you float on the snow. So there was that. Um, another time, it was so cold and windy. It was like I had to um, keep taking breaks to put my hands back inside my pockets where I had some of those nice chemical hand warmers because I literally couldn't feel my fingers. And I was like, I need some dexterity to like pick everything up and like, you know, be a, be a do it all what you Wipe. need to do. You know, there's wiping, there's all kinds of things that has to happen and you kind of need to fill your fingers. Um, so yes, I think that all, uh, never take your bathroom for granted. And interesting, I had the opposite experience. Yeah. yeah like I was I very jealous. I convince myself to go. You and Jeff, yeah, had the I just opposite wasn't, experience than me. So I mean, like, you know, I, I think not, intentionally at all but like i probably ate considerably less than i do in a normal day just because of you know convenience of food and like not having an appetite and feeling like crap so i was like i don't really have anything in there to get rid of yeah (laughs) i was shocked because i also was not eating much at all um and i think you know that wasn't exactly on my list but like i do think right like um, I know I was underfueled, like I didn't oh, eat enough sure. at all. And so I was like, also, why do I need to keep going to the bathroom? Like there's nothing in me except for three bites of cheese on the last day that were like 
heavenly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I had one on there like, you know, calories are essential and finding ways oh that you goodness. can get the most amount of calories in for the least amount yeah. of volume. Because like you'd said to me, oh, you kind of lose your appetite. And I was like, oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't think I'll lose my appetite. You do. Like it's, yeah. I definitely lost my appetite for the things that I had. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if I'd had like cheese and salami, if I would have lost my appetite because that's what I had and wanted something different. Maybe. I mean, I lost my appetite for Girl Scout cookies. And those are the kinds of things where like, if I'm feeling it, like I can eat a whole box in a sitting, right? And I didn't even want those. Yeah. So, you know, getting those calories in, it's really important because like, you know, up there, like so many things, you know, that we've talked about when you do something like that. At no point you're like, oh, this is going to be a great weight loss exercise. If I just make sure I don't right. eat enough and come down a few pounds lighter, I'm going to look better. Not mm. at all. Because that was not our intention. We underate, but not on purpose. <laughs> it's survival. And if you don't fuel yourself as best as you possibly can, and it's probably never going to be perfectly because, you know, you're not sitting down for a proper breakfast, lunch, yeah. and dinner, and you'd, you're expending so much energy, it would be almost impossible to keep up with it. No, I mean, I... It's it's entirely possible that we were burning on like our toughest day. We could have burned easily five to nine thousand calories. Like yeah. I, I don't it's hard it's really hard to estimate that, but with a fifty pound pack climbing with elevation gain, um And yeah. you gotta I mean, we're carry talking, food for you are, four days. You are burning thousands of calories a day. So it's just super hard to eat that. And I mean, if I was to do it again, that's definitely something that I would really think hard about because you can, you know, if you start to feel drained, then mistakes become dangerous. Yeah. You know, if you just start to get cold and you just have so little energy, you have no ability to warm up. That's dangerous. It's not like, oh, it's okay. When I get back to my tent, everything's going to be fine. It's like, no. Yeah. No, it's not going to be fine. If you get hypothermic, and, you get in that direction, it's like... And again, yeah. it's not just dangerous for you. It becomes dangerous for everybody involved. So it's kind of like, it's a responsibility to make sure that you to, yeah. you feel, and Eat I'm going to say fuel as best as you can, because I don't think that it's really possible yeah. to get like no enough. And even before we left, I mean, my nutrition coach and I talked about it and she was like, you know... I had just started moving into a phase where I had high days, right? So he- heavier training days where I would just get a lot more carbs. Um, and she, you know, she was like, you take all those days leading up to the trip, right? Like if you're worried you're not going to fuel on the trip, just have high days beforehand. So I sort of went in with like what I was hoping would be a pretty decent caloric surplus so that if I lost my appetite, which I did, I wouldn't like totally crash in a dangerous way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I made mention of it earlier, but my reliable, trusty Advil doesn't do <laughs> shit work. at 12,000 feet. Like one of the guys was like, oh, you shouldn't take anything because then we, can, we can't tell if it's going to get any worse. And I kind of ignored him because I also took migraine drugs because I was like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure this is altitude. But if it's not and it's a migraine because of like exertion and dehydration and you know exhaustion and i don't try and get rid of that 
then I'm also a liability. And if I have a severe migraine, I will not be able to put this backpack on my back. Right. I have no ability, like my peripheral vision goes, like my vision becomes pixelated and I lose my balance. Yeah. So trying to get down None a mountain on with snowshoes. that. Yeah. So I kind of did ignore him. I was like, yeah, cool. Okay. And then promptly went and took yeah. drugs. You knew your body much better than he did. So that was the smart move. <laughs> so they, they didn't do anything. But I am pleased to report, like, the whole way down that afternoon when we were going down to 10,000 feet, I just kept saying, you know, every step, I'm getting more oxygen. Mm-hmm. Just keep going. You're going to be fine. Um, and eventually when we got down, because we'd all packed, like, whiskey. You'd pack whiskey. I'd pack, like, mm-hmm. screwball peanut butter yeah. whiskey. And we'd hardly touched any of it. And we got back down to the 10,000 feet for the final night. We got into our tents. And uh, I'd, I'd given Rachel her birthday card at 13,000 feet. That's right, y'all. I got but a birthday card on top of the mountain. I also had like a little <laughs> scribble miniature for us to toast, but we yeah. obviously didn't drink it up there. Um, so we got, into, we got into the tent and I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like a human. Let's have let's our have, scribble. Let's have a shot. And immediately got a very quick but very short-lived buzz. Oh, Yeah. That was interesting. Like hit hard, but it was gone really fast. It, yeah, exactly. I mean, when you're at altitude, the lack of oxygen, all that kind of stuff, like alcohol definitely hits you real quick. Um, but yeah, I don't think it lasts. So, so there yeah. we go. That's that's okay. So we learned lessons about drugs. <laughs> um, I will throw in at this point. Let's see. Um, I mean, we've kind of touched on this, but I put it as like a separate one of just how. Um, this trip made me realize, like, I will never take for granted walking ever again. Like, I like snowshoeing. And prior to this trip, I would have told you, like, it's one of my favorite so little hobbies. I love <laughs> it's just hiking in the winter. It allows you to go places on the snow. And again, another unexpected part. I had no idea how much time we were going to spend in those snowshoes. And then like three days <laughs> when you finally get to like change them out for like crampons um, or are just regular mountaineering boots. If we're not worried about like punching a hole through the snow and going into like our thighs. But like um, it is amazing how much you take for granted, like just the ability to walk naturally. Yeah. <laughs> like not, none of those steps it's like were, walking were natural. Snowshoes yeah. Without standing on your own feet and falling on your face. You kind of have to walk like you peed your pants. Mm-hmm. Like with yep. a wide step. Yes. Yeah, it's super exactly. awkward. And then also like there are, um, they have uh, these little bars that you pop up called heel lifts. And when things get steep, you kind of pop them up and it's almost like putting on high heeled shoes. So the steepness of the grade doesn't like blow out your calves. And but even that is like another awkward thing. And then no, if you nobody's get like wearing a, stilettos going up the like if you a get slope. like a little downhill bit or a flat bit, then it's super awkward. Then it suddenly you you're like falling um, down. I mean, I have never I've never been so attuned to my feet, my ankles, my knees. Like every step is is intention and effort. Yeah. And it's really humbling, right? To like I mean, when we all finally got down back down on the asphalt road to the actual asphalt part where the snow was finally gone. And we were even just walking in our mountaineering boots, which are pretty stiff and clunky. They're not comfy shoes by any means, but it was like magic to be able to walk at a normal gait. That point gait. I had my toes curled up. Well, I'm that's just, true. You're, yeah. You're, my feet are screaming. Yeah. So there you go. Never taking walking for granted ever again. 
And, you know, it's crazy to think that there's that much intention and effort with every step. And on one day we did close to 29,000 right? of those. Think of that like mental. It's exhausting mentally. Mental um, just focus. And that that's where I think we've talked about this, you know, before. And But like that's where I get to the point of crying when my yeah. brain is so yeah. mentally taxed where I'm just like, I don't know what to do. Laugh, cry. Like, I'm And I just... think that's what happened on day one is that it, yeah. this was all so new to me that I did not see that coming. And I did not think for one second that just walking would be so hard. It was kind mm-hmm. of like, I guess, you know, like people have had a stroke and have to, yeah, relearn have to relearn words or relearn how to use their body in a certain way or after an accident. And you're just constantly trying to learn like how do I do this? And then when you get tired and you get clumsy and it's like, it's yeah. so hard. It's oh, yeah. like, you know, and being clumsy up there has a lot more consequences yeah. than just being clumsy. It's like, you know, you can do it, but your body just can't quite do it in yeah. the way that you want to. And then it becomes frustrating. And I know that my personal response to frustration is always tears. Like it's, I don't know why mm-hmm. it's just always been that way that there's no, I literally cannot, get around crying when I get frustrated and that was part of it too so it was really fascinating yeah so as you mentioned walking I'm gonna go with like cut your toenails (laughs) a very simple but very important especially the big ones yeah because the way up apart from like having no feeling in my feet from being cold I was surprised because I was like oh gosh am I gonna you know these Mm -hmm. are rented boots yeah I'm wearing socks I've never worn before Am I going to get all kinds of blisters and stuff? Not a problem. Yeah. At all. Mountaineering boots are tend to be pretty good with that. They're not, you don't really break them in the same way. But so. turn around and go back Ooh, down. Totally different my story. my God. Like, <laughs> your quads are on fire. Your knees start to go, oh, yeah, I'm 42 years old. Mm-hmm. This hurts. And my big toes, like, by the time we were walking back down that road, which was way longer than I remembered it to be. And uh, I remember when we stopped briefly and it was snowing and he was like, we probably got about an hour to go down to the car. And I was like, you have got to be kidding yeah. me. Like that was a point Those where I almost few lost hours my shit. Almost endless. Because I mean... my toes at that point, it was like every step was just like, I was almost feeling sick with like the pain that was in my toes. Like curled up my toes and I was walking on the sides of my feet. So now I was feeling it like in weird places down the side of my calves. And he was like, we got an hour and we had stopped for a break. And I was kind of soaked because it had been like snowing on us. Yeah, yeah. Hours that whole at this day point. was in the snow. And I just like stood there for a couple of minutes and picked up my backpack. I was like, I got to keep going. I'm getting cold. And thinking that, you know, once we got down, take these boots off, give the toes a couple of hours, they'll be fine. And it actually took a week yeah. where I had to wear. The only shoes that I could wear were Crocs. <laughs> and initially I could only wear them to kind of literally go from my car to whatever building inside I was going to. And I'd take them off. Yeah. And even now, there are certain shoes where it's still uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And like the, the fact go. that I, you know, I'm trying to, I try to cut them on the sun, cut my big toenails on the Sunday when we got back and the pain was just excruciating. So I got like a little bit off, <laughs> but I was just like, nope. And then on a Tuesday, I was like, okay, I'm going to try and cut my toenails to see if that makes it more comfortable to put my feet in shoes. Mm-hmm. And when I was cutting them, that's when like, yeah. This is going to get gross now, y'all. A this lot is, of fluid is... was coming out <laughs> from under my toenails. I was like, <laughs> Yeah. That was weird. And like feeling like my toenails were kind of floating around and like that the, where the nail goes into the nail bed was kind of pressing up as if it wasn't yeah. 
cemented in there anymore. Our feet are so amazing. They they do so much for us. And yeah, the when they're in pain, it's like it is brutal. Awful. So down is way, way worse than up. Absolutely. Which is another thing to consider. You know, like going up is tough. Yep. And you're breathing hard and you're running out of oxygen. And it's just, you know, the backpack. You're going against gravity with extra weight on mm-hmm. your body. But turning around to come down is quicker for sure to get down but it is no joke but that same 50 pounds that was working against gravity the other way is now pushing you even further into the ground with every step on the descent and it's uh yeah i think um uh that's actually that's actually kind of a good a, a segue into one of mine which was like again something unexpected um for me was how long it actually took once we got off the mountain for my body to recover. That was my in number one. Every way. Well, was it? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. I'm sorry. We'll talk about that. <laughs> like, um, because right, like it was like your toes, obviously that was unexpected. Um, I was felt great that day. I mean, Hannah and I got off that mountain, got to lunch and had like two hillbilly mimosas. Like mimosas in a pint glass. <laughs> mimosas in like this frosty beer mug. And like, we were feeling good, like, you know, reminiscent on the way home and stuff like that. And I thought, wow, maybe this recovery is going to be okay. Like my toes were fine and my lips were starting to go down. And, um, but oh my goodness, like between kind of the muscle soreness was actually probably the least thing to mm-hmm. recover from the the hunger the exhaustion the like need to take naps but also not sleeping great even when i was back at sea level i mean it took probably like five to seven days right like we're still peeling parts of our body are still peeling from the sunburn and stuff like that but i'd say it was a good solid five days minimum for like everything to kind of so say the monday like i woke up my face was still feeling salt swollen my toes were agony but I felt okay for most of Monday. Yeah. And then Tuesday rolled around. The swellings were going down. The blisters on my lips were crossing over. So that the healing process was happening. Yeah. But I was exhausted. Yeah. Like, it got to about 11 a.m. And I could barely keep my eyes open. And, you know, like, I was trying to go to the gym. And I had nothing to yeah. give. And the hunger was off the charts. It was crazy. Like, I ate, I like, everything. a crazy woman. Yeah. Right, like pretty much Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. I ate like a woman possessed, like could not stop eating. And just like every afternoon was just, I mean, I was useless. Yeah. I was so, so tired and, you know, trying to work and concentrate yeah. and just falling asleep at what, my desk. What day was it? What day was it when we, we actually did a CrossFit class? It wasn't, it didn't seem like a very tough workout, but we went. We worked out Tuesday. So that was Tuesday. Wednesday I did a little something, then I worked out hours, Thursday, yeah. Friday, Saturday. But yeah, I did not do that. The The Tuesday one like laid me out. <laughs> like, oh, I was, was like, crazy. it was too soon to go back to the gym. Is like, it really the only muscle soreness I felt from climbing the mountain was down the like outside of my calf, particularly on the right side. Because of how I walked downhill when yeah. my toes were hurting, yeah. so I was walking weird. But apart from that, I didn't really feel yeah. much in the muscle way of soreness, soreness. It was just my calves as well. Like that's, one, that's always been my weakest link. One CrossFit workout that I did mm-hmm. not go hard at. Yep. And I felt like someone had beat the living oh, yeah. crap. <laughs> well, and I just had no gas in the workout. Like it was oh. a salt bike and handstand push-ups and. Felt like I was working super hard, but I was like, nope, this is probably my like 
60, 70%. Like this is not hard. Uh, but I was like, nope, that was too soon. And then that's true. I, I got super busy with work and some other things. So I actually didn't even have really much of another chance to train until the following Sunday, like a week later is when I finally felt okay back in the gym. So yeah, that, that would probably be my biggest surprise factor. Like I expected, like I had no idea, idea how bad I would feel up the mountain, but I expected to feel bad. I yeah. expected to be cold to some degree, particularly my extremities. I expected to be tired and not sleep very well. And I was as prepared for that as I possibly could be and willing to push through it to a point where I considered, you know, that's, that's enough. Yeah. What I had no idea about or anticipation of was the recovery process yeah. and just how long that would take. Yeah. Which kind of shows just, you know, I wonder, you know, you're living off adrenaline. How much longer could we have been up there in those yeah. conditions before things started to go sideways? Well, especially if we continued to probably eat at such a caloric deficit or like, um, and I'm, I think we talked about this a little bit when we were actually on the mountain, but like, um, how infrequently we train to like true failure. Yeah. Right. Like, like there are workouts. I mean, we did one the other day with like extra heavy dumbbell snatches and over the course of the workout, like I could feel one arm long before the other, like start to fail the movement. Like I was like, oh, things are getting dicey. And that was a 14 minute workout with, you know, just a few of these moves each round. And when we fail in a workout, like pushups, people tend to fail pushups or handstand pushups. And when they're gone, they're kind of gone, right? You need a lot of rest. And I felt like what this trip was, was like, we spent four days pushing our body to like a kind of failure that we probably didn't even really understand. Cause we never like actually stopped being able to put our feet in front of the other, like you said. Um, but when I got home, my body was like, yep, that was a level of failure. And I need a lot of time now to like be able to do anything and like I that again. And I think the exhaustion, like so much of that was mental exhaustion mm -hmm. because what if I just went off of like physical I would have just quit at 12,000 feet and been like y'all go I'll stay in the tent yeah but the mind is so powerful like the mind could quit and then you're done even if you mm -hmm. physically are capable but your mind can also keep you going even when physically Absolutely. you're way past that point of just like now i'm in my comfort uh, left left by comfort zone bye yeah <laughs> like when i woke up in the morning when we were gonna go high and my brain was not about to let that go yeah yeah i mean i i i also you know a number of times over the course of the trip i thought of um when we did a trip back in minnesota in the fall our guide had his dog on the trip um, and Nikki was this sweet, sweet little hunting dog that was with us the whole time. And when this dog was like shivering, because it was cold, it was below freezing most nights, not nearly as cold as what we experienced. And everyone was like, oh, Nikki, like come curl up on my lap by the fire, right? To like help this dog feel warmer. And our guide, Steve, was like, Nikki's fine. Like, yeah, Nikki's probably cold, but like humans are the only ones that turn cold into suffering. Like, it doesn't have to be suffering. And I was like, whoa, that's intense. Like, I hate being cold. I know you hate being cold. So it was one of those things that, like, just kept coming into my mind of, like, my mind is a lot more powerful than probably I give it credit for when it comes to, like, 
how I experienced some of that intensity that we like had to go through. And so I think that probably got me through feeling less cold and maybe a little less suffery than so you can tell I yourself you're 10 gonna years suffer. ago yeah you can or you can build it figure up. out a way like when yeah. we i think it was day one when we were pushing really hard and we were like up that slope in, oh yeah and the guides were just endlessly going and we were all like come on this like, is brutal can't we have a break like, and i got to the like... point where i was like okay and i could feel myself starting to tip into like this is hard this is shitty mm-hmm. i want to stop i don't want to do this anymore oh my god these guys are assholes why can't they stop and i was like <laughs> stop it you are forcing yourself to suffer so we're going to start counting and we're going to count to 50 in one language and then we're going to count to 50 in another language and we're going to keep switching languages till we run out then we'll go back to the beginning and it was just like every step was one two three four get to 50 start again we didn't talk about that on the mountain but i did something similar like counting was something i I Mm -hmm. just counted my steps yeah i was like i wonder I think to that tree up there, it's going to take me 60 steps. And then I just counted and I was like, I was wrong. Okay. I think to that boulder is going to take me a hundred steps. And it'd be like 300. Like, right. (laughs) But, but you're right. I mean, like, right. Our brains can really, they can change the, even what feels like the physical experience. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I kind of made that a discrete lesson learned, but really like understanding the power of, mind over feeling like like sensation right? like bodily from the suffering um suffering so and that's probably yeah. the difference between people that survive a situation and people that don't mm-hmm. you know you can easily choose to go like no lights out or you this is like, horrible i want to run away <laughs> like <laughs> i'm gonna fight it but i don't know if we made it to 10 or not but uh, i don't know i mean i feel like I, we've kind of touched on so many things that i jotted down but um but yeah, overall I mean, Overall, as much as it was an intense experience, and... it was also an awesome experience. Am yeah. I in a rush to go out and repeat it? No. <laughs> no, you haven't had that the amnesia, the adventure amnesia yet? And only, literally <laughs> only because of how crappy I felt. Like if I yeah. had felt good, yeah, apart from like tiredness and a bit hungry, right. then I'd probably be like, oh man, I got to get up there. Um, but I felt genuinely awful, like mm. going from 12,000 feet to the the highest we got. And, you know, I'm still feel like I'm just coming out of that recovery phase. So maybe Mm -hmm. ask me in a couple of weeks and things will have changed. You know, when I'm no longer dealing with sore toes and gigantic lips that are peeling and hands (laughs) that look like lizards and stuff like that. But I'm 100% glad that I did it. Yeah. I'm 200% glad that we didn't stop at 12,000 feet. Mm -hmm. And... I think that it's it's something not necessarily climbing a mountain, but pushing out of your comfort zone, finding where the limits are. Yeah. And then testing those limits to see if there's that little bit more, because most of the time there is. There definitely is that little bit more. Yep. While also being smart is the only true way to find out like your true potential. Yep. I mean, it definitely, I, I feel like my... Um, I don't know if it's like the final takeaway, but, you know, I used to take a lot of pride, I guess, in doing difficult things like this by myself. And one of the most amazing, rewarding things about this particular trip was that I did it with you and Jeff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't think I would have learned half of these lessons um, 
if y'all hadn't have been there as well to like talk about our experiences, right? Like, like the fact that we made it a group experience meant we got to learn from all of each other's lessons too. And like, um, it was just, it was just so amazing to like be able to do that with y'all. And I mean, I also just like, this is, this is a very weird thing to say. I'm, um, but I'm almost glad we didn't reach the summit because I also feel like that was like a big part of what I learned was like this trip for us, I think because we knew the conditions were going to be really crazy and we knew the avalanche danger was there early on. And maybe we, the guides probably already knew we probably yeah. weren't going to summit. So it like, the trip was so much more about the journey. Yeah. And I know it's a little cheesy to be like, you know, like we always talk about that, like find the joy in the process and the progress rather than like that goal, right? Like the summit ended up literally not being what the trip was about. And yet, I mean, all those other experiences were, you didn't need the summit to like have them. And I feel um, like actually if we had tried to push for it, whether it had been successful or not. It would have changed everything. It would have been, I don't think we would have had as good of an experience. No. We wouldn't have been able to make it down to that lower camp, which means our exit day. I mean, everything, it would have been like that one thing that changed, right? I mean, it would change every step afterwards. So, um Yeah. Oh. It was, it was awesome. I loved it. And like to kind of bring it all back to the body image aspect of this is that to think that once upon a time in the pursuit of an image, I wouldn't have even been able to pick up the backpack. Right. And that now, because yeah. I focus on like what my body can do and anything aesthetic is just a sidekick to that. Yeah means that I can throw on more than a third of my body weight and climb 13,000 feet. Climb up a mountain. While I wearing mean, clunky-ass snowshoes. Let's not lie to our listeners. We did care about fashion a little bit on this trip. But I it mean, was, like, I did. cool fashion, you know, <laughs> mountain fashion. It had nothing to do with, like, caring about what our bodies look like. <laughs> so just another reason to focus on being fit and strong and healthy yeah. and able, on a whim, to say yes Two batshit crazy <laughs> adventures. Batshit crazy ideas in the mountains in the winter. Um, yeah. And, I mean, you you have now a lasting, loving relationship with a big puffy with 850 fill down. I love that thing. Yeah. It's the best $450 I ever did spend. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note... Thank you. If you are still listening, we have gone way longer than we usually do, oh, but I feel like it. it was worth it. This is part two of our little two-part adventure series. I have no clue what we're going to talk about next time. We got quarterfinals coming up this weekend. Yeah, we do. So we're back into the thick of it with CrossFit quarterfinals this weekend and our pursuit to get that little bit closer to the games for when we're 60 years old. Um, and uh, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our experience. And uh, I guess we'll just have to commit to some more so we have more stories to tell. Right. More crazy adventure coming. And on that note, we will love you and leave you. Thank you for listening. <laughs>